Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Welcome back. Mike Max sitting in. News Talk 830-WCCO. Your beacon to the Northwest. No, I don't like that. Your, um, your home to the lakes and beyond. Now. Let me think about some of those. I'm going to come up with a tagline yet at some point. There, there was one time, but we had this greatest theme song. I don't know where it is now, but back in the, this is before I ever worked here. I, I just remember as, as, a, um, as a consumer of WCCO, because I listened to WCCO all the time, even as a kid. And Real Radio WCCO. And we don't have that anymore because it was so good that somebody bought the, at some other station in some other part of the country bought it. And and then trademarked it and said we're going to patent this thing and and no other station could use it and we, and we were the originators I don't know who not we I wasn't here at the time who they hired to do it but it was so good that somebody else um, bought it and trademarked it or whatever you do so that legally nobody else can use it and it was it was really good it was just like powerful this lady would come on she'd sing it and you just go wow that is so cool um, let me read some of the texts from some of you some of you. Uh, you're you're uh, you're intellectual and cerebral in your thoughts. Some of you others, <clears throat> um, what you don't get is they if they had arrested Chauvin twelve hours after he killed Floyd, nothing would have happened. Don't you get it? Um, no, I don't think that would have happened. I think I think once they realized what had happened, that's what set off the protests. But the protests weren't even the problem. See, this gets so complicated, and I hate to try to explain it in a few minutes, but I say this because I was there for the whole thing. The 95% of the protesters were just fine. They are exercising their right to protest. That's not who I'm calling into question here. They were exercising their right as citizens, and they were seeing this as something they had seen before, and they wanted to bring justice to it. And they peacefully marched. Um, but here's the one. Sorry, Mike, but most of the destruction was caused by outsiders. Really? Um, I noticed a lot of people going into the burn precinct uh, were, and a white Texan was convicted of some of the destruction. Let me tell you something. That That is what some people want you to believe, that we here in Minnesota were not capable of such egregious acts. And it was people from other places that came here looking for trouble. You couldn't be more wrong. Statistically, check it out. See how many arrests had Minnesota addresses during that time. That's just, somebody wants to float that out there. 
I was out there the whole time. They weren't from somewhere else. They weren't coming in here. They weren't mercenaries that came in here and were hired to come in and protest and raise hell in Minnesota. They were mainly from Minnesota. And most of them, as I said, peaceful protesters that just wanted change. It was those few. Just like, oh, wait, Washington, D.C. Oh, no, but that can't be. Um, some, their cause for action was admirable and, and, and they did get changed from this and, and, and they were able to win some victories, but others just tore places apart for no reason and it did no one any good. And those are the ones I'm talking about. And you can say that, well, yeah, they're watching this. They've got task force watching it. Really? How much are they putting into that at the federal level? How how much the federal people putting into making sure that the people that did the most destruction are going to see their day in court? How how much how much are are the are the feds putting into that as opposed to what they're doing with the the January sixth insurrection? How much? Um, I'm just it, it burns me to think that people truly believe that people came from the outside and did the number on us here. We did it to ourselves. It was Minnesotans, and that's fine. Minnesotans speaking up for Minnesota, that's great. But don't kid yourself. Uh, yeah, they came from Chicago, and I, I saw some license plates from somewhere else, and uh, I saw these one guys. I, I know they weren't from around here. They were from around here. And I'm saying that because I was out on the streets for nine days. They were mainly from around here. Um, We've got some other ones here. Mike. Saw the same bush watering on Friday at 2 p.m. downtown. Not to mention the hit off the frack pipe and the solicitation of prostitution that took place. Uh, I mentioned earlier, if you just got in your car, uh, today when I was walking over here from TV over on 9th and Nicollet at the uh, J.B. Hudson store, I saw something I'd never seen before. A lady pulled her pants down and urinated on the side of the building. And it's not, I have to be careful when I say this because there's, downtown is coming back. It is not the same place it was a year ago. It's much better. And there are uh, more restaurants that are, that are, that are open now than were a year ago. And there, and there are some good things happening in, in downtown Minneapolis that were not happening a year ago. Um, but there are still some things and we can't just, you know, I, I, I don't know, um, I will never be a part of the, the Chamber of Commerce here. My job is to report on what I see. That's it. What I saw that stood out today walking over here was Lady Poor Pants Down and Urinate on the, on the side of the building. I've never seen that before. Um, here's one. You were, they're talking to me. You were running around interviewing 15-year-old girls from Lizetta that proved nothing. Okay. <clears throat> don't know who you were. I don't know if I saw you out there or not. Um... As far as I'm concerned, everyone that was out there except media, of course, were not peaceful protesters. If they were out there when the curfew was in effect, I believe anything and anyone that they got, they had it coming. Um, yeah, but I, I don't know, you know, and we can play the game of uh, peaceful protest, and, and, and those are legitimate points if you were out past curfew except all those things. But what just irritates me is I feel like we here in Minnesota that we don't matter. Uh, if it happens in D.C., then it counts. But if it happens in Minneapolis or Minnesota, it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. It's not important. And that's why we've developed our inferiority complex here over the years. 
because we see that and we say you don't care about Minnesota. We, 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 we've got a lot of good things going on here, but you don't care about Minnesota. You don't want to protect us. You don't want to, oh boy, when, when it's, uh, it's not, it, somebody says apples and oranges. No, it's not. Either you investigate crimes to the fullest extent or you don't. That's it, period. Uh, it's not apples to oranges. Th- these cases are, in fact, very similar. There was mass destruction, mass issues, and lots of people should be in trouble for it. But there are no committees being formed that I know of right now to investigate here in Minnesota, and there are many, many, many in Washington, D.C., you tell me. When we come back, Andy Tate, and I always got to tell the story about Andy Tate because it is a really interesting story. Um, you know, sometimes you connect in life with someone, and, and lo and behold, you connect with them again, and you didn't know that you connect with them again, and th- that's what happened. When Andy does this segment next, I'll set the tone, and then he'll talk finances for us to make sure that your taxes are in line. Okay? Mike Mack sitting in, 3 to 6 at WCCO. Welcome back. Mike Mack sitting in for Paul and Jordana. Joining us in the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, Andy Tate from Cahill Financial, as he does from time to time on this program. The reason I say that it's kind of crazy is, uh, and I'll, I'll try to do this in a paragraph, but I have a hard time doing it in a paragraph. Andy grew up in Morris, Minnesota. Both my parents and my grandparents grew up in Morris, Minnesota. My younger brother went to Minnesota Morris. Uh, it was there that he met Mike Tate. Mike Tate was went to Morton High School. When Mike Tate was at Morton High School, my dad was the head basketball coach at Gaylord High School, and he coached against Mike Tate. Mike Tate's father was the coach at Morton High School. Mike went to Minnesota Morris, developed a, uh, a very successful uh, insurance agency there. My younger brother worked for Andy's father, Mike, in Morris. Uh, they worked together for a long time, became good friends. Uh, my younger brother moved on. Mike moved on to Stillwater, brought Andy with him. Uh, Mike and Joe Tate, Andy's parents, would become the godparents to one of my nephews. So there you go. Isn't it, did I have it all right, Andy? I think you nailed it. <laughs> yeah, and Andy, uh, we watched, watched from afar as he had this unbelievable track career at uh, Morris and Stillwater and the University of Kansas and is now in the financial industry. It's uh, it's been fun to see, but uh, they're, they're, but but the point is, I never had anything to do with Andy Tate being on WCCO Radio. They found you in a different way, right? I, I had nothing to do with it. That's all through best prep. So uh, yeah, find each other though. Yeah, <laughs> and and Ko Financial and, and Andy, I'll get I'll get to the book because there's, there's a lot this time of year, I guess, that we talk about financially. Uh, do, do you think that do, do a lot of people think taxes right now, or do most people think, hey man, I just got done paying them in April. I don't want to think about taxes again. I think everyone has tax fatigue, and I don't blame them, but it's also a good time to sit down and just do a do a very honest inventory of where you're at year-to-date. I think July, you'll get some statements, your quarterly statements. I'll tell you now, they're not going to be pretty. So it's a good chance to, to sit down and, and have some, some real conversations and some reflection with yourself. You mean looking at what? When you see your July, what do you need to look at first? Well, what you'll do is you're going to open up and you'll see some negative numbers. And I think first and foremost, when you do see that, you need to think about how that makes you feel. Because to be in the equity market, you have to have the financial capacity. You also have to have the mental capacity to handle the ups and the downs. And I think when we had two years of up, people forgot that every three years, the market goes down. So this is very normal, very natural. It's healthy for the economy. And it's going to happen again. But some people will look at a negative statement and make very irrational decisions. So using some time uh, in the middle of the year, you can still make some adjustments. uh, So you're not having to to wait until December 15th to do everything that you want to get accomplished. But it's a good time to sit down and just say, okay, how did this make me feel? What did I do? What did I do well? What did I do poorly? And just put together a game plan because we're not out of this yet. 
but how how do you begin to for when you do a risk assessment? How do you begin to forecast? You know, how long are we in this? Because we're not quite sure what this is, or if we're in this and we've been in it for a while. Well, I think the first the first place you look at with these statements now they do a nice job of of showing where your money is invested, not necessarily the company but the sector. And what people tend to do is they invest in things they're comfortable with. You'll have doctors invest in healthcare. You'll have uh, um, tech companies and invest in tech. What you want to do is you want to make sure you're diversified. So when you take a look at the at the statements, not all sectors are down. You know, commodities are up, value is up, but the ones that people typically gravitate towards would be the tech ones because they get all the headlines. You have Elon Musk out there making noise. You've got Amazon. You've got all this and that. Well, those companies are beat up a little bit, but that doesn't mean other ones are out there uh, are also doing poorly. So I think it's just a good exercise to make sure that you're invested in multiple different areas and it's just to be diversified. And review benefits. November is enrollment time, but make sure if you're 50 this year, you consider catch-up provisions. What, what does that mean, catch-up? What is a catch-up provision? How does that work? Yes, so if you turn 50 by the end of the year, you can put more money into your 401k than if you were 49. And what ends up happening is people realize that when they're doing their taxes next April, and they've, they've missed out on a full year, they could put an additional few thousand dollars in. And it's a big deal because putting an extra thousand dollars in your 401k is going to save you about $250 in taxes. So looking at if you are turning 50 this year, making sure that you know you can put more money in than you could the previous year. So it's just to make sure that as you go through and, and you're maximizing the benefits you get through your employer, things do change. And most people just do what they did the previous year. But as these benefits are, are adjusting and changing, you want to make sure you're fully maximizing them. When, when you talk to families about uh, how they how they begin to integrate their conversations on finances to their kids, without, you know, a lot of times parents will have conversations and a lot of it's, uh, you know, bitching and screaming about, you know, how, we, where did this bill come from? What is this? And, and it, it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction and they're not really uh, giving the full picture to their children as to, you know, to where they sit financially and what the expectations are and what a budget looks like. Uh, who, who are the best at doing it and at what age do they begin to incorporate their children into those conversations? I would start as early as you can, and you could even talk with three- and four-year-olds about consequences. Or if we go out to dinner, well, that's going to be fun a fun event as the family, but then we can't do something else. There has to be some give and take. And I think, too, a, a critical part of the conversation is, is discussing and explaining mistakes that you've made. And no one's perfect with finances. No one's perfect in any aspect. And I think that's a, a powerful lesson to teach the kids. This is tough. There are some, some hard decisions to make, and the markets you can't control. You have to react when they move and make sure you have that conversation. I think vacation planning is a great first step, especially now with inflation where it's at. The vacation you took in 2020 uh, is going to be more expensive in 2022. So have the conversation. You know, we're, gonna, we're still going to go up to the North Shore and spend time hiking and biking and what have you, but we're going to pack our lunches instead of going out for lunch. That's explaining to the kids that, yes, we are still going to do things, but we're not going to be able to just do the exact same thing we did two years ago. As kids prepare for college, what, what, what's the right time to converse about, you know, and everybody's got a different theory on it. Some parents say, hey, you just do everything you can uh, to be the best student, the best athlete, whatever it is, and don't worry about working. And others say, hey, you got skin in it. We need you to have skin in this game uh, so that you feel the, the, the pain and what it takes to, to go to college and there's a sacrifice for it. What, what have you found? What, what, what's the best parent involvement there that you've seen over the years? Well, I had a great conversation with, with Jordana about a year ago on this very topic, 
And where kids are now, especially sophomore and junior year, they have star power in their eyes. Right now, Kansas won the national championship. There's a direct correlation. <laughs> I knew you were going to work that in sometime. <laughs> just, it just slides right out. So, but there's going to be an increase in enrollment. And people now know that name, and they're, they're interested in it. And I think the conversation with parents and kids should be, why do you want to go to a University of Kansas over a Mankato State? So I think the, the conversation should be, don't just look at the label. Make sure that you're going to get value out of it because there's a huge cost difference. And I think uh, not many people uh, don't have Harvard or Stanford on their initial list of colleges they want to go to. But does that is that the actually is that the right fit for the child? Do you I mean, do you hear more and more people getting more and more pragmatic about their decisions on uh, secondary education? In other words, are they are they saying more and more, hey, let, let's figure out the, the real cost value and do an analysis on this. What what job are you going to land? How much is it going to pay if you go to this school versus that school? If you started a junior college, you do it from home for a couple of years before you go to a four year school. Do you hear more conversations like that? Absolutely. Look at the trade schools. Yeah. I mean, they're in such high demand. You can have a shorter education process, a lower cost, get a high paying job. They're waiting for you. And it's the right fit versus some kids will go into the into the uh, four year traditional approach and they'll spend two or three years trying to figure out what they want to do. And that's an expensive, uh, expensive little tour. So I absolutely have had more conversations in the last five years than ever before on the true value of that education. What's that experience going to bring to the table in real life dollars? Mm, and parents have more and more questions about it right now with uncertainty, huh? Oh, absolutely, especially if you see an account down 10% and they know they have a tuition bill coming in September. Uh, it definitely creates some stress. Andy, is Mike still working the airport there? He's there right now. We went around. <laughs> what a great, per- perfect position for a guy with people skills like that. Great to talk to you. Say hi to the family. Will do. <laughs> Andy Tate, nice enough to join us from Cahill Financial answering all your financial questions before you even have a chance to ask them kind of good stuff. Uh, plenty more to come. Bill Peterson's an interesting guy. He just finished his 63rd year of umpiring and coaching in St. Paul. He coached a couple of guys over there at one time by the name of Winfield and Molitor. He just finished uh, working uh, section softball. I mean, he's just one of those guys, one of those legends. What makes him tick and how does he keep going strong at age 83? We'll ask him when we come back. Welcome back. Mike Max sitting in 3-6 to six for Paul and Jordana. They've got the week off. Bring you the best we got, such as on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline, Bill Peterson. He is legendary in St. Paul. Came out of the Marine Corps, started coaching. First, One of the first teams he coached was in 1960, an all-African-American hockey team, back in 1960. He kept coaching. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Because he could coach. He coached guys over at Oxford Playground like Paul Molitor and Dave Winfield. He also umpired. And he just finished umpiring another fast pitch uh, girls high school season last week at age 83. Yes, he's legend. Bill Peterson, thank you for giving us some time. Mike, I got to correct you on one thing. What? I'm 82. 82. 
but you're going to be 83. <laughs> well, eventually. Yeah, yeah. We should retire 83 into the 830 WCCO, so we were hoping for 83, but we'll take 82, oh, and we'll still call it remarkable, leave, okay? Yeah, let's leave it at 83. That way we'll remember 830. <laughs> Yeah, you get asked this a lot. I watched you work a game recently, and you you know half the people in the crowd when you get there. What keeps you going, Bill? What what keeps you running out there three four times a week? Well, I think just the fact that I wake up that's that's number one. Yeah, you know, I'm at this I'm at the stage in my life where live one day at a time really makes sense, and I think that's where the cliche came about was for old folks like me. Mm-hmm. But knowing that I can still go out there and do it, that really, that's what keeps me going. It's really great. See, the, to challenge yourself, in essence, is what you're doing every day. That's correct. Because every day is uh, like when you get a certain age, you're learning every day like you are when you're a kid. So mm-hmm. when you're my age, every day is you're learning something different to help you make it through the day. Do you think that's a key to aging in a healthy way is if you can commit yourself to learning and be curious about what you could learn today that the the world becomes a better place as you as you move along in years? Well, to be honest with you, I've heard so many people tell me, "Oh, wait till you get this age or wait till you get that age." Everybody's got a different age, which I'm finding out where you become OLD. Oh. Yeah. And I just became that about a year ago during the pandemic. I realized it, and I think most people don't realize it when they hit that age. Once you realize and you accept it, then I think it's easier to live one day at a time and not be so uh, thinking about the unfortunate thing about passing on, you know, (laughs) in the Mm -hmm. the near future. Yeah. Let me ask you, the first one of the first teams you coached was an all-black hockey team in 1960. How did that come about? Because I think most of us think that, that, that most teams like that have come about in the last few years, and actually this was 1960, correct? Yes. Well, what happened was, well, first of all, I, I played hockey at Central High School. I was a goalie for three years. In fact, I played hockey before that at Hazel Park Playground in St. Paul. I used to once we moved into the Rondo area, I used to take the streetcar back for two years, going back and forth from Hazel Park to my house because there was no no hockey in the uh, the Summit U Rondo area that I moved to. So one of my best friends named Pookie Pettiford, uh, when I was gone into the service, I went into service in 1957. When I was gone for three years, 94 came through the Rondo community and just ripped it up. But a positive happened. There was a playground that was developed because of some of the area now that was cleared because of the freeway. And they they made a new playground called Oxford because it was on Oxford Avenue, Oxford and uh, basically the freeway, right down from Central One Block. And the first phone call I got when I got out of the Marine Corps was from Pookie's father, John Pettiford. And John Pettiford... Uh, when he called me, first of all, he told me all about what had been happening in the three years I was gone with the freeway coming through and the playground being built. He was now the, uh, the, they started a booster club, Oxford Booster Club, and he was the president of it. So his role now was to try to, they did have football the first year while I was gone, and they did have 
baseball the first year that I was gone, but they wanted to have hockey. They've never had hockey in the neighborhood. Yep. So that's why the call was. He said, Pete, and that's what they used to call me, Pete Short for Peterson, would you coach hockey for us at Oxford? And I had no clue what he meant in terms of that the team was all black or, you know, that just didn't dawn on me. I grew up in the neighborhood, so wanting to coach, I, I didn't even know I wanted to coach. But all I could say was to him was yes. So when I went down there the first time, uh, in fact, I ended up doing most of the flooding of the rink and everything because it was just, it was a little part-time playground when it first started out. There wasn't even a building. There was a wooden shack that we uh, kind of changed our clothes and shoes and everything and skates and everything. So I didn't really know what I was getting into, but that's the thing that catapulted my life was that phone call because I not only started coaching, that's where I met the Crow family, which I married into later on in life. Mm-hmm. And I just had a wedding. My my daughter just got married, and, and I had sent her and her, my new son. In fact, my son married my daughter. Uh, he wasn't my son, of course, until that day. Mm-hmm. But now I tell people, I said, they asked me, who did your daughter marry? I said, he married my son. Yeah, you feel pretty so good there, about course, it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, and there, there, of course, has to be an explanation. But anyway, long story short, Oxford Playground became my life. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in the neighborhood, so it was all all my friends were the brothers and sisters or fathers of the kids that were coming through there. So it's a, it was a perfect match for me. And I ended up coaching for 60 years. This was the first year I haven't coached. Wow. Yeah, and two of the guys years. who coached are in the Hall of Fame. One of them is a famous, you know, the Yankee, that the, the Yankees come to town tomorrow. I know you get asked about this often, but what did you see when you, what were your impressions of Dave Winfield and Paul Molitor at a young age when you were coaching them? Well, let me say that for Paul, it was easy because I had a roadmap. I had a, a, something to judge it by. I had a Dave Winfield. When I had Dave Winfield, I had no clue what his abilities were because, you know, I was almost as young as these kids that was coaching. When I started coaching, I was 20, and I'm coaching kids that are 12, the Winfield brothers. I'm only 10 years older than they are. Everybody thought I was really an old guy, but it was just, Unbelievable, because I had no clue how good Dave Winfield was. So I didn't treat him very good, because if he didn't do the things that I expected him to do, I chewed him a new butt. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. So when Molitor came along, I had a, I had something to judge by. Both these guys were not only great baseball players, but they were they're just great people, just super people. In fact... That's one of the things that has kept me in coaching all these years. The guys, kids that I've had, like the Winfields and uh, Monitor and Hondo Hughes, a magician, and these are my greatest friends right now to this day. When, so when, that's what has always kept me in it. I'm not coaching kids I don't know. I'm coaching kids that I learned to love, and they become my best friends. Bill, Bill, uh, we got to let you go, but I want to ask one more. Do I have time for one more question? Sure, yeah. Uh, one more question. Who's the easiest kid to coach? Is it the kid that has average talent that's looking to, to become great? Is it the great player that you don't have to coach much? Is it just the kid that works hard all the time with a great attitude? Who is it? Uh, put them all together. They're just great to coach. I would I would prefer because baseball is different than the other sports. 
the other sports, you have to have the physical talent. Baseball, you don't need that. If you have the great physical talent, I mean, that's a plus for you. But if you teach the kids fundamentals and if they put the fundamentals to use, you can be an excellent baseball player without having great physical skill. But I think I got more out of – I mean, I, get, I don't get any more than I get from Winfield and Mauser because they've made it to the biggest thing you can ever make it to, and they're in the Hall of Fame. But in terms of when I'm actually coaching somebody, to be able to take that person that doesn't have the skills and teach them how to play the game, that's much more rewarding than ending up with somebody – you know, in the Hall of Fame, although I would never trade having that on my resume, I guess you'd call it. No. Uh, one other thing, before, yeah. before we go, let me just mention one name, because he has become so important in our community, yeah. is Frank White. Yeah. He, uh, he runs the RBI baseball yep. program, but he is so involved in that community in terms of history. There's some great things that are going to be coming out. So I just want to throw Frank's name out there. Oh, Frank's the best. And I'm still yeah. coaching with Steve Winfield. Yeah, up to the last, up to last year, Stevie Winfield and I have been coaching together, and we've got that great 50, 50 year friendship. Yeah, that's, those are some good men you're talking about, Bill Peterson, Frank White, and Steve Winfield. Hey, Bill, thank you so much for joining us. Keep going strong. Thanks, Maxie. Appreciate your uh, your support and making me available to other people to learn my story. Yeah, Thank it's, you. It's fun stuff. Bill Peterson, nice stuff to join us on News Talk 830 WCCO. I had a chance recently to visit with a guy that uh, also played for the New York Yankees and was pretty good. He'll break down the Yankees and the Twins and, oh, yeah, that Timberwolves team that he's uh, owner and waiting on. Next in sports, stay with us. Busy week in sports coming up. Vikings minicamp tomorrow. High school state tournaments start tomorrow with the state tennis tournament. And, oh, yeah, those New York Yankees are coming to town to play the Minnesota Twins. A couple of division leaders going head-to-head, and they have been lights out, especially in terms of their pitching. Uh, what they did to Detroit over the weekend was uh, uh, they they really got it figured out right now. Uh, there's a guy that used to play for the New York Yankees. His name was Alex Rodriguez. They called him A-Rod. He now is a part owner or owner-in-waiting of the Minnesota Timberwolves investor, hoping to be a majority owner at some point in time. Uh, he was in town last week when they named Tim Conley as the new president of basketball operations. I took advantage of that opportunity to talk to A-Rod about leadership, the Timberwolves, and yes, the Twins and the Yankees. Alex, what what impresses you about a good general manager in, in, in you know, any sport? Well, I think you want, you know, it's not all in a vacuum, right? You want, uh, you want experience, you want feel, you want an understanding of analytics, uh, you know, understanding what a champion looks like, recruiting. Uh, there's a lot of uh, virtues and elements that come to being a great leader uh, of basketball operations, and and we feel we're very fortunate with having Sachi here already and Tim. It becomes a wonderful complementary set of skills, and I'm really excited for them to get in kind of the lab and start working. When you look at what motivates a basketball player, is it the same as any athlete as, as you observe this in the NBA? Are people driven by the same things, or does it vary sport to sport? I think a champion is a champion. It's very, very difficult to do. And I tell our players, the toughest thing we're going to do is be able to win a world championship. And it takes all-in commitment, buy-in from from the very top to the very bottom. And I think what I'm most excited about is we're creating a stability around this team, around this franchise, around this town, of something that the fan base can lean in and be very proud and have, they can forecast the future 
that is going to be very bright. You know, one of the things that you see now, especially with social media, is is the scrutiny that all players are under if they choose to subscribe to it. You live scrutiny your whole career. Do you try to help Timberwolves players that way? Because as you get better, you know, the playoff game, if you don't play well, it, it's right there in your face, maybe for the first time. How, how do you counsel that? Yeah, look, I have a wonderful relationship with our players. Um, almost said, like in the sidelines, like a big brother, I'm always available. Um, but you don't want to, you know, lean in too much. You want to make sure that they know you're here, you're supportive. It's never a straight line. You know, young players will make mistakes. We have to be supportive. Um, but if we can avoid one or two mistakes per year, event, then we're doing our part. But make no mistake, there's no harder time ever than being an athlete than today because of the scrutiny, because the amount of voices in, you know, 24-7 news cycle is very, very challenging. So I commend our players and all athletes today with the work they do. You were front and center for a Game 7 Boston and Miami. Uh, I know you grew up in Miami, but do, do you get... As you watch games, you get a sense of, hey, we could use this, we could do that. Do you get any sense, or are you just watching as a fan? Yeah, look, first of all, I'm watching as a fan, um, but I'm I'm there as a fiduciary uh, and one of the owners of this franchise, right? Studying what it takes for us to take that next level, the next step. And just like I did in baseball, I constantly am doing my homework. I'm doing my, my homework here, and uh, it was very enjoyable. NBA is doing some wonderful things, and it's going to be a great finals between... Uh, Boston and Golden State. Last one baseball question. The Yankees are coming to town soon for the uh, Twins, and the Twins and Yankees have been at the top of the standings. Two completely different markets. W- what do you see? Well, I think, uh, look, Minnesota Twins have done some wonderful moves here this offseason, and uh, they've put this, themselves in a position to to be successful. I haven't followed very close in the Twins. I'm more busy with the Timberwolves. I know the Yankees are off to a, to a really good start, but Baseball's a marathon. There's, I mean, they're just literally in the second or yeah. third inning. Of, you know, we of forget that season. sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do. But it's going to be good because here come the Yankees. The Yanks are coming. The Yanks are coming. Isn't that a song? No. It's not? No, no, it's not. The Yank, what is it? Yeah, good try, though. I don't know. It's close to that. No. Anyway, the Twins and the Yankees doesn't get much better than that in baseball. Archive starting tomorrow night, the first of three. We'll have it here. Plenty more to come, including Randy Sampson from Canterbury Park when we come back on CCO. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.